It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. They told me you were experienced in harsh waters, James said as he pointed out of the pearls of sweat that had formed on my forehead. Yeah, I do, I said, moments before hurling the remnants of a less-than-appetizing lunch off the side of our ship. Just you look a bit green around the gills, he continued with a smirk. We just met a few hours ago. I'd been airlifted on the USS Orion, a sea lift handling abyssal transport capsules for a classified project conducted by the United States Navy. I guess they forgot to mention that I'm much better underwater in submarines, I shot back. Considering the circumstances, his casual demeanor left an uncomfortable atmosphere amongst the workers. They all knew what my visit entailed, but just like myself, they were scant with information. All I knew was there might be a contagious infection at the bottom of the ocean, and my job was to either disprove it or to confine the entire crew aboard the station. As soon as we were positioned securely on top of the Tonga Trench, we were rushed into the transport capsule, a minuscule vertical submarine designed simply to take us to the base on the ocean floor, 20,000 feet below us. Talos. I entered the sub feeling excited while also dreading the return to the deep blue. It had been 10 years since serving as a hospital corpsman, one of the few actually stationed aboard a submarine. Over the years, I had clearly lost the natural sense that I once had for the ocean, yet I longed desperately for it. Whenever you're ready, Doc, one of the crew members said, impatiently waiting for us to drop into the abyss. I raised my thumb. As ready as I'll ever be. Go ahead. Ten feet. The twilight zone. The impact with the ocean lightly shook the capsule. As we submerged, my nausea quickly diminished, and a sense of peace washed over me. I was back. Outside the window, a few curious fish accompanied our journey downward. Various sea life attracted by the cargo ship following to see us off. James piloted the miniature sub, having done the trip a thousand times before. It wasn't anything new to him. Myself, I'd never been below 2,000 feet. And never had I been able to look through the window and admire the most unexplored blue world. 3,300 feet. Midnight zone. As we sank deeper towards the abyss, the last stray rays of sunshine vanished. We had left the realm of sunshine and mankind, all in favor of the domain of darkness. First time in the abyss, right? James asked after a long bout of silence. Yeah. Served aboard a submarine for a few years, but they never... They never go this deep. This is something else. He smiled at me. Oh, you're in for a treat, then. We're going all the way down. Talos sits right at the edge of the trench. Ain't nothing quite like it. Any sea life once curious about our sub had long since retreated towards brighter areas. The rapidly increasing pressure had proven hostile to most, but some resilient little creatures had found a way to thrive in places once thought to be lifeless. Miracles of the ocean. 
Within an hour, we had reached a depth of 10,000 feet. Beyond the 15-inch glass pane separating us from certain death, lied nothing but everlasting darkness. For all we knew, the two of us could have been all that existed in the void. If not for the sound of the outer hull settling under the pressure, a constant reminder about the vastness of the ocean. To distract myself from the unsettling creaking sound, I asked James about the only thing I could think about. Hey, why don't you tell me, um, tell me more about what happened down there? James acted casual that far, but my question quickly changed his nonchalant expression to a frown. They briefed you on the surface, didn't they? Of course, but, uh... And then I'll have to do, he said firmly. 13,100 feet. The abyssal zone. The world outside hypnotized me, staring so far into nothing, knowing there could be a full world only a couple of feet before you was bizarre. I'd never experienced true darkness until that day, and to think a good portion of Earth's life had existed within it for millions of years terrified me. When I served aboard the USS Katakea, my captain explained why they don't put windows on submarines. We told stories about shipmates going crazy after years at sea, that the isolation or distance from the mainland never bothered any of them. He firmly believed that staring into the ocean and pondering its secrets was what truly drove men from their sanity. And to combat this, they never put windows on their vessels. Though it was clearly a tale he made up, seeing what truly lies beyond the surface brought back these memories. Maybe, maybe he was right after all. My sinister thoughts were interrupted by a dim light appearing in the distance, a red dot dancing blissfully up and down, getting closer to our little sub. It was a jellyfish. <laughs> Look at that, James says as he pointed at the little creature, so fragile yet defying the deep sea pressure. Another light joined it, then a few more, and before long a symphony of pulsating crimson lights formed around our capsule, welcoming us with the warmth of thousands of stars, making up their own little galaxy thousands of feet below the surface. It was the most magnificent thing I'd ever seen. A bloom of jellyfish happily existing in such hostile conditions. Couldn't help but feel impressed. They're called a toll of jellyfish, James stated. They don't usually venture this far down, but there's something about this place that seems to attract them. Usually see a few on my journey down here, but never anything like this. I just nodded in response, too mesmerized by the sight to notice what he said. But as quickly as they had appeared, they vanished, once more leaving us in absolute darkness. Hey, listen, Doc, I'm sorry about that outburst earlier, James said. I turned toward him, turning my back to the darkness for the first time. It made me feel vulnerable. You gotta understand, this ain't something we usually deal with. And Mike, well, I've known him most of my life. I know how much this sucks, believe me. I was trying to get as much information as possible, for all our sakes, I said. Yeah, well, there's nothing I could tell you anyway. Airlock's been on lockdown for the past two days, and we've been under strict orders not to open it until you deem it safe to do so. I didn't ask any further questions. I dealt with contagions ever since leaving the army, and 90% of the time, they were simple overreactions. 19,700 feet. The Ocean Basin. For the first time since we left the ship, the radio came to life, emitting a static sound, one that slowly took the shape of a man's voice. James, can you hear me? Loud and clear, Captain. Got our man from the CDC as well. They're about ready to dock. Great. 
Crew's getting impatient. Wait. Radio started to break up. That damn radios. Uh, station A. Don't. Welcome to the Abyssal Zone, James said. Radio's been acting strange lately. Imagine giving us a state-of-the-art station but comms from last millennium. Through the window, we could see a massive dome lit by hundreds of lights. Three paths stretching from its center, each lit up by different colors, making sectors A, B, and C. There was something else lit up by the station's light. First, just obscured figures leaving shadows in the sand, but as we got closer, I realized they were fish. Hundreds, if not thousands, of... of dead sea creatures. Littering the ocean bed. Their corpses mangled from the intense pressure. Christ. The hell's up with the fish? I asked. Same as the Atoli. Something attracts them down here. They swim until their bodies break under the pressure, then they sink. What could possibly do that? There are a few theories, but from what we can tell, it's a sound that we periodically hear from the trench. The docking process in itself took quite some time. The outer hull had changed ever so slightly due to the high pressure, just enough so that fitting into the station proved a challenge. As the doors finally opened, I stumbled outside the capsule, greeted by three of the crew members aboard. You're the doctor, right? The oldest of them asked. That's correct, I said as he reached out his hand to introduce himself. Name's Robert Lewis, the captain about the Talos, he said as he shook my hand. Thank you for coming this far. I know it's not the most pleasant journey. He seemed polite enough, though clearly sleep-deprived, with bloodshot eyes and greasy hair. This is Jennifer Burke, one of our biologists. That's Henry Gale, our technician. They both shook my hand, neither making eye contact as they did. Hey, Captain, uh, where's Abby? James asked. Still at Sector B. She's not doing too well, as I'm sure you can understand. He responded. James nodded. Let's talk, Robert said as he gestured for me to follow. The hallways were narrow, dimly lit up with lights that flickered and constant creaking emitted from the walls. It looked disproportionate, considering how large it had all seemed from the outside. As a rather tall guy, I had to crouch down to keep my head from knocking into the ceiling. Sorry about the grim mood, Robert said. It's the first time we've been dealing with something like this. I'm assuming they just... They told you about the situation on the surface? They did, but I have to admit I'm a bit fuzzy on the details. As are we. Mike put himself in lockdown as soon as he returned to the station. We haven't, um... Haven't had clearance to open it yet. He, um... Mike, he didn't give any good reasons? I asked. Never got the chance. Fell over dead the second we hit the button. Robert led us into the central dome. In contrast to the hallways, it was a pleasant surprise. A large living space filled with furniture and personal effects. Had I not known better, I could have believed that we were still on the surface. Mike discovered some uh, microorganisms down in the trench. New type of parasite, he said. He claimed they were able to withstand any amount of pressure, which isn't a surprise down here. He also explained that they were completely unaffected by the rapid change in environment. Robert said as he headed inside an office. Did he believe it was contagious? Seeing as he was our microbiologist, I can't really come up with any other fathomable conclusion. Needless to say, we destroyed any samples, but we still don't know why he put himself in the lockdown. <sighs> Robert sighed. That's not the strangest thing. 
I waited patiently for him to continue. We lost him down in the trench for three entire days. Tracking system failed, comms went down, did whatever we could do, but it was futile. Even if we had found him, he only had enough oxygen for ten hours, so we unfought. So, unfortunately, we presumed he had died. Then out of nowhere, his tracker reappeared on our systems, showing he was moving back up the Tonga elevator, and though he never responded to any of our attempts at contacting him, he was clearly alive. How? It's impossible. That it happened. Once we let him in the station, he simply locked it down and fell over dead on the ground. Before Robert could continue, the technician walked into the office. When you examine him, be careful not to damage the EPM suit. It's highly... It's hardly the time, Henry, Robert commanded, glaring at him. I'm just saying, this is a billion-dollar project. Why don't you get the equipment out for our doctor here, Robert demanded, getting more agitated by the minute. Look, Captain, if... If you would just let me go to the airlock, I could take all necessary precautions. Absolutely not. Do you think headquarters would have sent down the damn CDC if they thought we could handle it? For Christ's sake, Henry, know your limits. The technician left. And quickly returned with a modified hazmat suit and some surgical supplies. We moved on towards Section B. Unlike the hallways we had traversed before, these were large and well lit up. As we arrived at the airlock, we found Abby standing before the glass doors, staring longingly at Mike's lifeless body. Abby, Robert said. I know. I know it's time. She responded as she turned around. Oh, you're the doctor, she asked, her eyes red and voice trembling. I nodded. You'll figure out what did this to him, won't you? I just... I don't understand. Abby, why don't you come with me while they work? Robert said. You don't need to see this. As Robert led her back to the central dome, Henry started unpacking the cart of medical supplies, including isolation drapes and a hazmat suit. All right, I'm going to guide you through this. No need to mess up a perfectly good EPM suit, Henry said. What does EPM mean, anyway? Exoskeletal pressure modulator, Henry said as if it was the most obvious thing in the world. James and Jennifer helped me seal the hazmat suit while Henry hung up the isolation drapes. I stepped through while Jennifer entered a code behind me to unlock the airlock. My ears popped as they sealed the door shut behind me. Both the drapes and airlock were translucent, meaning they could observe everything I did. In addition to a mounted camera on my shoulder for closer view, displayed on a monitor on the other side. Just by the control panel, Mike lied dead, wearing a massive black suit, looking more like a robotic piece of machinery than diver's gear. There were several cables and hooks hanging from the ceiling, and just turning him over was a massive task, as he weighed about half a ton wearing the suit. His face was pale as a sheet, with thin streaks of blood pouring from every available orifice. The eyes were red from conjunctival bleeding, completely ridding them from any white. I'm ready, I said. All right, first thing you'll need to do is to simply inspect the suit. Look for any breaches in the integrity. It shouldn't be possible, but in the unlikely event that something broke through, a self-healing mesh should have formed, like a kind of a gray. I looked over every inch of his suit from top to bottom. There, his feet, Henry yelled. Sure enough, 
there was a patch of gray that stood out from the matte black metal covering the rest of him. Something actually perforated his suit, Henry said, surprised. I got closer, giving them a better look in the monitor. Clearly, the puncture wasn't what killed him, though, he added. I had to agree with that assessment. Any breach not sealed off within a nanosecond would immediately crush him, but it seemed that the mesh had replaced whatever penetrated the suit at the same time as it was removed. Now attach the cable to his shoulder. They're color-coded, so it should be easy enough. I attached the cables as instructed, which caused the suit to lighten up and start unhinging. The front of the suit opened up, revealing Mike's completely mangled body. What the hell? James asked. That's not pressure damage, Henry responded. Mike's ribs were broken outward, though they had not torn apart his flesh. His chest seemed to have expanded to almost twice its normal size. I continued to remove the helmet, pulling it off his head. I looked into his eyes for a brief moment, baffled at what could have crushed his internal organs to essentially explode. For the briefest of moments, it seemed like his eyes moved to meet my gaze. Did you just see that? I asked. No one said a word. We all just stared at Mike, waiting for something to happen. His eyes moved again, darting in random directions as he started gargling violently, contracting his chest. Oh god, is he still alive? Jennifer asked. He opened his mouth, letting thousands of massive worms pour out onto the floor. They immediately crawled in every direction, up the walls, onto the ceiling, desperately searching for a way out. Mike continued to spew out more slimy worms. His mouth tore open in the process, leaving his jaw completely unhinged before falling off. Once all the worms seemed to have evacuated his corpse, his chest tore open, revealing even larger worms. It quickly became apparent that all of his organs had been consumed, replaced with the disgusting creatures. Some of them started clinging to my suit as I swatted at them in panic. None of the others knew what to do. They could only stare at me flailing around. As the worms touched each other, their flesh temporarily fused, forming longer versions of themselves, growing in size, and then breaking off again. They wrapped around my arms and legs. I begged for someone to help me, but they couldn't do anything. Hang in there, Henry yelled as he fumbled with the panel for the airlock. Within seconds, a few small taps emerged from the ceiling, spewing what I can only assume was liquid nitrogen. Whatever it was, the worms froze in place, freezing to the point that I could break them into tiny pieces. It only took a moment, but all the worms had been killed off. And though my suit had partially protected me from the cold, I collapsed, exhausted, and shivering onto the ground. Get me the fuck out of here, I demanded, knowing full well they couldn't do that until I had dealt with the infestation. Robert had just returned to see what the commotion was about, and upon seeing what remained of Mike lying torn into pieces on the ground, he stopped in his tracks. After a minute of catching my breath, I got some sense back. With some morbid sense of humor and functioning on autopilot, I turned towards Henry. Sorry, but the suit isn't going to be salvaged. We're ejecting the whole fucking airlock as soon as I get out of here. Henry turned to Robert, pleading for him to make me reconsider despite what we had all just witnessed, but Robert took my side. After removing the recording unit from the EPM suit, I packed the entire thing into an easily ejectable container while making sure that no worms remained in my suit. All I took was a small sample of a frozen worm, packed into a vacuum container. I exited the airlock and handed the sample over to Jennifer. She had prepared the previous parasites brought back with Mike, and I told her to get everything ready so I could determine what we were dealing with. 
Robert started the procedure of ejecting the airlock content, including what remained of Mike and the EPM suit. Henry pouted the entire time. James hadn't moved an inch since the event. He turned sickly pale as if he just realized the severity of the situation. We have to tell him, Captain, he said quietly after a few minutes. Tell me what, I asked while getting out of the hazmat suit. Robert took a deep breath, mulling over his option. Yeah, you're right. Tell me what, he repeated. The real reason why we're stationed down here. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.